Thanks, Virginia Gray. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This, is a, this has really been a great day. Um, as uh, has already been mentioned, we had a couple baptisms. We gave out our fourth grade Bibles. We've heard from the, the children not only singing, but also participating in leadership. Um, I, I, I had a, as I, I knew we were going to be doing our fourth grade Bibles today, I went and found uh, my, my original third grade Bible that was given to me in my, can you believe how big this thing is? Yeah. Um, so they must have known I had an eyesight problem early on. But, um, but anyway, I remember um, going home with that Bible and, and flipping the pages, and some of those stories I remembered from Sunday school, and some of them were new, and I would ask my parents about, uh, about you know, certain stories and what this meant and what that meant, and sometimes they knew, and sometimes they go, I don't know, you're going to have to ask your Sunday school teacher about that. But, um, but I do hope that each and every one of us, uh, you know, just as uh, Christina um, invited us, uh, invited the kids to read a a chapter or a verse, I do encourage you to read the Bible together as a family. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, your word revealed to us through the scriptures. And I pray that you will continue to teach us and that we will continue to be students, disciples, people who learn. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me start out with a question um, for all of you. This is a participatory question. Um, how many of you here learned about God, Jesus, the Bible, the importance of church at an early age as a child? Raise your hand. Okay, now look around. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look around. Okay, that seems to be a lot of us. All right, and how many um, were not taught about Jesus at an early age? Raise your hand. Okay, I've got one, two, okay. All right, um, that's my sermon. All right, I'm done. Thank y'all. So. Point being, it is, the odds are in your favor if you start young. Um, it is really, really important to start young. I want to tell you a story about my yard this morning. Not, not the one at the parsonage. Um, the one at our rental house. Uh, my wife's grandparents used to live on Beach Street just across the water here, and, um, and when they passed on, uh, we inherited their house, which was a great gift. Of course, we have a parsonage to live in, so um, we rent this home out. But um, we've wanted to make some improvements. It's an older home. We've wanted to do some stuff uh, with the house, and uh, like many great ideas, um, we just haven't gotten around to it yet, and um, one, one of the things that we want to improve is the yard. Um, the yard needs a little work. Um, so I, I, I drive down this road. I, I don't know if y'all ever go back there, but I drive down this road, and I see how nice all the other yards look, you know, and it makes me feel a little queasy. You know, that, that, that's a suburban ideal, right, you know, is to, is to get away from the city with all of its uh, buildings and concrete and, and get out to a place where you've got trees and open spaces and lawns full of thick, full, well-trimmed zoysia or Bermuda grass, right? You know, like the Garden of Eden with the Starbucks around the corner. That's what we're looking for. And, and now it is a fundamental principle of Christian mission work that if you're trying to reach a group of people with the gospel, that you have to adapt your life to their way of life in some ways. You, not, I'm not talking about conforming completely, but you do conform to some ideals of the prevailing culture. So there won't be any impediments to people hearing your message. You know, like when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? So if your house backs up to landfall, 
you do as the landfallers do. And I, I, I don't live in this house, but I've decided I need to have a nice lawn like the other people do in the neighborhood. It is the least I could do since the staff parish committee has so far refused to buy me a boat. So, um, I mean, we've got church members who live over there, and they don't want to see a nasty yard. So there are two ways I could go about getting a nice lawn. Okay? The first way we might call benign neglect. Okay? Why water the lawn? Why fertilize it? Why spread weed killer? Why go to all the work mowing and edging and spreading mulch? After all, grass grows naturally all over the world. The rain waters it, the sun warms it, and it thrives without any help from us. So I could just let nature take its course. And what would be the result? Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, you might get a patch of nice grass here or there, and you're also going to get a lot of weeds. Because weeds are part of nature, too. So along with my Bermuda and my zoysia, I'm also going to get dandelions and thistles and crabgrass and those nasty sand spurs, right? I'd probably also have a lot of dead brown patches from insects and fungus. Instead of looking like one of the fairways on the landfall golf courses, my yard's going to look like an overgrown vacant lot. It is never going to make it on the Azalea Festival tour. What's the problem with this approach? I don't want what's natural. I don't want a field or a meadow. I want a nice lawn. With no weeds, no brown spots, just thick green grass. And that, that, my friends, takes work. It takes cultivation and maintenance and constant attention. I have to either pay a lawn service or i got to do it myself, which means going out to Home Depot, lugging back a 50, 50-pound bag of Scott's Turf Builder, spreading it all over the yard, right? You know, and then watering the lawn and mowing the yard, waiting on the back porch for the first dandelion to come up so I can go spray it with my weed killer, you know, and then keep watering the lawn, keep mowing the lawn, fire up the weed eater, fire up the edger, mow, rinse, repeat, mow, rinse, repeat, just on and on and on. It is a never-ending cycle. If you decide you're going to have a nice yard... It means a lifetime commitment, right? Now, what's the point of my little story? Children are like lawns. We can't trust them with an attitude of benign neglect and expect them to somehow flourish. What if we said, well, you know, after all, it's a natural thing for children to grow up. Children grow up all the time, all over the world. As long as we provide a little food, a little clothing, a little love, everything's going to turn out just right. Nature will take its course. They'll pick up what they need to know. They'll learn how to get along in society. We don't have to trouble ourselves with what they're hearing, what they're seeing, what they're doing. They're going to turn out just fine. Maybe. You want to take that chance? Well, we may get some good, healthy growth by accident, but we're also going to get a lot of weeds in there, a lot of foolish ideas, a lot of confusion, a lot of bad choices, a lot of selfishness, because all of that is natural too. Here's what I'm trying to say. If we want our children to grow into strong, wise, confident, capable, intelligent, mature Christian adults, we can't just leave their spiritual and moral guidance to chance. 
We can't assume that they're going to get whatever they need from the culture. We have to take seriously our God-given responsibility to help grow up our children. We have to work constantly to keep the weeds from taking over. we got to continually nurture and strengthen what's good and what's right in them. Listen to what God says to parents about his word. He says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Teach them to your children, talking about these words, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Now, what strikes me about this passage is how different that approach is to how we usually think of educating our children. When we think about Christian education, we tend to think about a class or a program, you know, something that takes place in the church at some set time and date, right? Uh, you know, something like Sunday school or wiggle worship. Joyful for Jesus, uh, life groups, faithful fifth, God's girls, middle school boys, Bible school, children's choirs, mission trips, 412. The list goes on and on. Something that has a teacher and a curriculum. There's certainly a place for all of that. I am so, so thankful that I've been assigned to this church where we have such great leadership in our children's and youth programs, and so many amazing mentors, teachers, faith keepers, people who have taken hours and hours out of their lives to help raise up our children. Because, see, I got three of them myself, and they are the beneficiaries of this. And so I thank all of you. Um, I'm really, truly grateful. But all those programs I just listed and all of those volunteers that I, I just brought to mind they're not the main course. The primary way that God intends for our children to be taught and instructed in the faith is constantly, all the time, everywhere, throughout the normal course of life. And the thing is, that doesn't always happen at church. That's got to be done at home with parents and grandparents and those that are helping to raise our children because that's where life happens. Parents, God wants you to teach his word to your kids. When does he want you to do it? All the time. The Bible says when you sit at home. So, for example, when you're sitting at home and you're watching TV and some character does something or says something contrary to God's word, you just don't let it go, right? You hit the mute button, or maybe you wait till a commercial, whatever, you know, and you tell your son, you know, hypothetically speaking, poor Everett, uh, this has nothing to do with you. I, I'm, I'm just, just throwing it out there. And, um, and just say, you know, hey, um, what would happen if that happened in real life? You know, or, or simply say, you know, I don't think that's appropriate. I, I just you, you understand that, right? You know, um, to have that conversation. Or, or again, hypothetically speaking, hypothetically speaking, I'm not saying this happens on a daily basis, but uh, perhaps it does when you're taking your daughter to school and you're listening to something on the Spotify 
and there are some song lyrics that might be inappropriate, and you get a chance to say, you know, I, 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 that's not really necessary, um, and explain why you don't think that's, those lyrics are appropriate, and, and what that says about the society that those particular words are discussing. Um, I think it's important to have those conversations. Uh, how about when you lie down? If your children are small, you can read to them before bed from the Bible, from a Bible storybook. Ask them questions. See if they understand the story. Even if they're older, you can have them read for themselves. Or when you get up, pray with them. Or uh, certainly be praying for them. And if, if nothing else, let them see that you're praying. They will notice what is important to you in your life. Honestly, I always hesitate to talk about parenting because I'm in the throes of it. My wife, she is awesome at it. She is a fantastic parent. Me? Yeah, I'm okay. You know? Um, the Lord knows I'm trying and has blessed me with three amazing kids. I am so grateful. So grateful. Um, but, you know, I'm not perfect and they're not perfect, and none of us are, but I am blessed with truly awesome kids, and I, I thank God for them. Um, I thank, thank, the, thank God for that with all my heart. Um, but uh, let's, let's get back to church for a minute. Um, why isn't a class once or twice a week enough? Well, I, I think first, because a class can't catch you in that teachable moment. You know, I, I'm watching the news a lot. I'm, I'm a news junkie. Um, I listen to the news a lot, and, you know, my, I'm, fortunately my kids, you know, they're a little bit older now, um, they're at an age where they're listening to that stuff too, and, and they're asking questions, and we're able to have some conversations about what's happening in the world, and, and why we think this is appropriate or this is inappropriate. Of course, most of the news, you know, has kind of a negative tint to it, so we're able to have some conversations around some things. Um, but a class, they're, they're not, a class isn't there in that moment. It, it can't strike when the iron is hot. Um, and second, I think we got to teach our kids that God's word is not just for Sunday, that it's for every day. I think that's really critical, um, that God's truth is for all of life. Not only does he want our children to learn that, he wants us to remember that too, so that if you are involved in teaching your children Christian education, not only will your children be, excuse me, children be blessed, but you will be too. Now let me pause to um, deal with an objection that just might be percolating in the back of your mind. Okay, Perhaps as I've been talking, you've been thinking to yourself, I'm so glad I didn't uh, grow up in Pastor Doug's house because he sounds like a real lame-o. You know, I get it, okay, I get it. And, um, and I'm sure Everett will probably tell you that that's true. But um, the truth is, um, it's being able to talk about the Bible is important. I don't, I don't mean that you've got to have every Bible verse memorized. And I certainly don't want you to go up to your kids and be like, well, honey, you know what the Bible says about that. I don't think that's going to be helpful, right? You know, or, or when the child tries to talk to you about a problem, just say, well, if you just have faith in God, he'll get you through it. You know, I mean, that's, that's a little too simple. It, it's a little too glib. Um, it's not untrue, but at, at the same time, I'm just not sure that it's helpful in the moment. Um, th these, are, these are examples of, what I'm, of not what I'm talking about, okay? Um, I, I don't want you to be artificial. It treats the child like they're just some sort of receptacle for you to put your knowledge into. That's not what I'm talking about here, okay? Don't be surprised if they just tune you out, if that's the way you talk to them. 
No, um, now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a little lecture every now and again. It feels like I'm giving you one right now. But, uh, but what I'm talking about is much harder than quoting Bible verses. I want you to have an understanding of what they mean. It involves listening to your children, being able to have a conversation with your children. It involves waiting for those right opportunities instead of just barging in prematurely with all the answers. And, of course, that requires sensitivity and tact and patience and, Lord, perseverance. I think most of all, humility. Sometimes the best thing to do is not to just teach and tell, but to ask questions, draw it out, let them kind of figure out the answers. Sometimes we need to admit we don't have all the answers. And that's frustrating, you know, for people who want to fix everything. But we've got to be real, or they'll know. They'll know. We've got to be living out what we teach, too. Because if we're not living it out, they're just going to ignore what we say. Part of what makes all this so challenging is that effective teaching requires much more than just a mental Rolodex of Bible verses for every occasion. You know, like, let's see, you're worried and you lack confidence, so what, what Bible verse can I bring to bear? Oh, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know, I love that Bible verse too. Um, but again, I, I think um, we got to get a, a little, little deeper. It's more than just remembering a Bible verse. It's understanding the Bible verse. Wisdom comes as we live according to the biblical worldview. Because we can't pass on what we don't have. Let me give you an example. I spent four years in seminary, okay? I basically did 40 hours a week of Bible study. Um, I did that for four straight years. And I, was, I had a church during that time, a little, little bitty church. And, um, and I was uh, taking what I learned each week, and then I would preach about it, basically. And then I had Sunday school before I preached. And then Sunday night I had Bible study, adult Bible study. Wednesday night I had children's Bible study. Thursday night, I had um, youth group, and this happened every single week. I studied every book of the Bible. I immediately put into practice what I was learning, and I st- I, I, it was really great because I got to study at the feet of some of the greatest Old Testament and New Testament scholars in the entire world over at Duke, right? I studied theology and Christology and ecclesiology and missiology and eschatology and about a dozen other ologies, okay? I, I know so many ologies right now. I've been a full-time student of the Bible and theology for half my life now. Here's the thing. None of that prepared me for what took place 18 years ago this weekend, this very Sunday, in fact, when I became a parent. And all that information that I learned, I'm like, how do you teach that to a baby, to a one-year-old, a two-year-old? Well, God gives you what you need. Thanks be to God. You can only teach what you know and have experienced. You can only teach what you know and have experienced as well. That's the rub. In order for us to transmit the truth of God, we've got to take that in too. If you're going to be a good teacher, you've also got to be a good student. The the word that the Bible uses for student is disciple. We have to keep learning if we're going to be effective teachers to the next generation. That's what God calls every parent to do. He calls us to be the kind of people who can impart wisdom and truth into the next generation. Now, you might be tempted at this point to go, oh my gosh, man, you you were there, you were at Duke for four years and you 
studied the Bible nonstop and you spent a Brazilian dollars to get that education and you know what chance do I have if you you're you're struggling you know I, I get it you know it makes it a, a whole lot easier to just say let's just leave it to the professionals like Christina and Pam and Courtney and let them take care of it um, they are good at what they do but even though God knows how difficult it is he still says that teaching children is primarily the parent's job. Listen to the book of Proverbs. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When they sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Those verses don't say anything about pastors or church staff. They're talking about parents. They're talking about mothers and fathers teaching their children, giving them the kind of knowledge and wisdom that is going to guide them and protect them and instruct them throughout their lives. This is the glorious privilege of being a parent. Are we adequate for it? No, no, of course not. No, of course not. I fail all the time. But by God's grace, he can make us adequate. In fact, Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. None of us are adequate in ourselves to the task of teaching and instructing our children, but the grace and power of Christ is adequate for all times and all places. We've just got to lean in and lean on him. Let me give you a couple more brief points, and then we're going to be done, okay? What about those out there that are not parents or don't have children at home? Can you just tune me out and just be like, hey, you're talking to somebody else this week? No. Sorry. You're not off the hook. Your task is to help and assist the parents in carrying out their responsibilities, just as you promise to do every time we have a baptism in here. Okay, Hillary Clinton says it takes a village to raise a child. Bob Dole counted by saying uh, it takes a family. I'm going to give you a third option. If we want baby Christians to grow up to mature adult Christians, it takes a church. The parents of this church need your help. They need their church family to help train up all of our children in the Lord. So finally, let me make clear what this wisdom and truth is that we're talking about imparting to our children. The ultimate truth is the word made flesh in Jesus Christ. The ultimate wisdom is to take him as your Lord and Savior. The ultimate hope is found in his death and resurrection. And the ultimate joy comes from following him every day of your life. So the goal of our instruction is not merely to guide our children to be capable, you know, strong, wise, confident, intelligent, mature adults. The ultimate goal is to lead our children to Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, I thank you for every child in here. For those down the hall, for those who've been here earlier this morning, for those who are not able to be here, for those that are at soccer games or at grandma's, for those who are not associated with the church, for those who are struggling, for those who have never struggled. Lord, help all of us, for we are all your children. Lord, as we have been given the awesome task of teaching little ones, the next generation, 
about the faith of Jesus Christ. Lord, continue to give us the confidence and strength that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.